Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome back to Talk Nation Radio, Kathy Kelly. Kathy Kelly, during each of 20 trips to Afghanistan as an invited guest of the Afghan Peace Volunteers, has lived alongside ordinary Afghan people in a working class neighborhood in Kabul. I joined her on one of those trips. In June 2016, Kathy participated in a delegation that visited five cities in Russia aiming to learn about Russian opinions regarding NATO exercises taking place on their borders. Uh, Kelly has joined with activists in various regions of the U.S. to protest drone warfare by holding demonstrations outside of U.S. bases in Nevada, California, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri. In 2015, for carrying a loaf of bread and a letter across a line at Whiteman Air Force Base, she served three months in prison. Kathy Kelly will be speaking this week at the Democracy Convention in Minneapolis, including at the Peace and Democracy Conference organized by World Beyond War, and will be speaking in September at the No War 2017 War and the Environment Conference in Washington, D.C. See worldbeyondwar.org. Kathy, welcome back to Talk Nation Radio. Well, thank you, David. Thanks for the invitation to be on Talk Nation Radio. Uh, well, you are one of my favorite peace activists, and I think people should hear as much from you as possible. There are so many threats now, Kathy, to peace and to the environment. Um, it's hard to know where to start. What what do you make of the, the latest round of sanctions against Russia, North Korea, and Iran? Well, you know, I think the United States foreign policy has been so squarely based on threat and force, and this has led to to wars, to killing, to bloodshed, to torture, and to the United States becoming less secure in the world because there's so many people that feel deep grievance and antagonism because they've been subjected to brutalities caused by U.S. foreign policy. And what would be the alternative? Diplomacy, negotiation, and educating the U.S. public to better understand the world around us instead of demonizing world leaders and, you know, kind of having a cartoon uh, version of foreign policy, um, the good guys and the bad guys. So, you know, in my own personal history, going over to Iraq and on 27 different occasions, seeing children wasted, tortured, shriveled up and dying in their hospital beds while their mothers looked at us with puzzled horror. You know, why is anybody punishing my child like this? Uh, it seems to me that the very word sanctions connotes for me a kind of blood-curdling fear, having seen what the result of the economic sanctions against Iraq was. Now, in the current situation, uh, the Trump administration's uh, anger over having to waive sanctions against Iran, because Iran is complying with the International Atomic Energy Association. Uh, inspections and, and, and has complied with the many, you know, very costly uh, measures that it had to take in order to uh, have the pact that was arranged through a great deal of dogged diplomacy uh, go into place. Um, I, you know, I, I think Iran is an example of a, of a country that's in a kind of a prime position for the United States to 
uh, prefer diplomacy rather than threat and force. But here is the Trump administration uh, saying, uh, well, we're going to find some way to go after Iran and, and satisfy a base that is sort of um, hungry for war against some kind of an enemy, it would seem. Uh, the same thing with regard to North Korea. There, there's just simply no point in saying that we're going to insist on denuclearization. It's not going to happen, and it makes so much more sense for the United States to instead emphasize negotiation and diplomacy. I mean, the people I see who are really embracing that are um, non-governmental representatives like Anne Wright and Medea Benjamin, who've gone back and forth, or Christine Ahn, or um, even Jill Stein, uh, trying to see if there's some way to promote person-to-person diplomacy rather than continually foment the idea that the United States can punish, punish, punish people using our weapons if they don't subordinate themselves to what are considered to be U.S. national interests. Uh, indeed, I just watched Jill Stein on MSNBC on this topic, uh, and she made the case the, for peace and diplomacy. I doubt they will ever have her on again. Um, but it, it seems like uh, attacking Iran will simply uh, reinforce the desire of North Korea and Russia and countries around the world to acquire and uh, and build nuclear weapons because Iran is the is the targeted nation that doesn't have nuclear weapons. Well, and, uh, you know, I think when we attacked Iraq, that certainly was the message. Uh, if you uh, don't have nuclear weapons, you better try really hard to get some because this is what the United States will do to a country that it knows doesn't have any capacity to fight back. Um, and and you know, apparently the. Within the Oval Office, Trump sort of had a, a temper tantrum and said, what do you mean I can't attack Iran? And, and, and Tillerson and General Mathis had to kind of calm him down and say, look, you know, we know you'd like to just attack them right away, but you, know, you can't do that because they're complying with the accord as it was arranged. There's no evidence of noncompliance, but maybe we can work out something, like we can stage a, a, a demand for the... Uh, IAEA weapons inspectors to go someplace, and the, we know the Iranians are going to balk at that, and then we can kind of say, look, they're not complying. And, and you know, having watched that process unfold in Iraq on, on, on top of the economic sanctions and then the, the setup that was arranged so that the United States would have some kind of an excuse to invade, they simply didn't want to turn back that invasion plan, no matter what the facts on the ground were. And so I think it's very, very important for the, the peace movement, the anti-war movement, educators in, um, in the environmental movement as well, to come together and make sure that people are confident in their ability to speak out and say these wars are completely unjustified. They make no sense. We won't tolerate them. And, and you know, I also believe we should be saying the same with regard to United States support for the Saudis, who've maintained an extremely punitive naval blockade of Yemen, uh, are contributing to the uh, exacerbation of cholera and the horrible starvation and near-famine conditions, not only through their airstrikes, but by preventing fuel from getting in and by having decimated the uh, civilian infrastructure needed in order to cope with starvation and disease. 
There's, there's so many outrages. I, I want to come back to Iran and to North Korea and to Russia, but uh, on on Yemen uh, for the moment, it, it's just shocking to me, Kathy Kelly, that uh, th this enormous famine and uh, epidemics of disease are not more of a humanitarian concern uh, in the United States and in the Western world. And I wonder if that's because they are caused by, by U.S.-supported warfare or, or what the reason is for the lack of, uh, of caring. Well, you know, the stories are so horrible in terms of what people are facing right now, not only in Yemen, but also in uh, at least three countries, uh, sometimes referred to as in the Horn of Africa, uh, Somalia, Sudan, Nigeria, uh, it should be on the front page every single day that as many as 20 million people uh, could die of starvation, uh, that uh, the Saudis have continued to pummel Yemen uh, and, and that the United States is supporting them, even though there's been no declaration of war on the part of the United States against the Houthi rebels. There's a, it would be very, very difficult to establish the idea that U.S. security, the security of people inside the United States is at risk because of Houthi rebels. Most people would say, well, who are the Houthi rebels? Where are they? What's the problem? And, and yet the United States is supporting the Saudis. Uh, they could not continue their war if it were not for United States support in jet refueling. Those Saudi jets go over Yemen, they bomb targets, they repeatedly bombed civilian targets, destroyed four Doctors Without Borders hospitals, have bombed public gatherings, including funerals, uh, transportation, including buses, have bombed mosques, the sewage and sanitation facilities, uh, roadways uh, have made it have been bombed so badly that the United Nations can't even get vaccines against cholera into the country because it's so impossible to circulate them. So they said, well, we better just take all these vaccines that we wanted to bring to Yemen, where 400,000 people have been identified as suffering from cholera, we better take them someplace else because we can't distribute them because of what the Saudis have done inside of Yemen. And, and yet, you know, at what point has this war ever become discussed on the floor of the U.S. Congress? Uh, there have been, I mean, really Herculean efforts, I think, on the part of people like um, the just foreign policy or uh, within peace action to try to force a vote on the floor of Congress, a, a congressional vote, with regard to whether or not the United States is authorized to give be a co-belligerent, basically, in the, in the Saudi war against Yemen. But it's very, very difficult to do that. And that's why I think one thing we can all be doing this summer at, at, at gatherings like the one coming up in Minneapolis or in preparation for September with World Beyond War, we can all be encouraging people to make it known to their elected representatives, look, I care about this, and I want to know what you're going to do about the United States' continued support for the Saudis in making war against Yemen. If... Uh Kathy Kelly, if there continues to be this build-up toward a war on Iran with these sort of pre-advertised uh, deceptions and manipulations, uh, despite 
having blocked these attempts year after year, despite them not overthrowing Syria first, as I, I understand was the plan uh, for years. Uh, what what should activists do, and what will uh, you do? Will it make sense to take people to Iran as you went to Iraq uh, to to be there as as human shields, witnesses, uh, voices against? The, the shock and awe campaign, uh, how, if so, how could we get many, many and prominent people to go to Iran? Well, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure that the Iranians are um, so trusting of people from the United States that they'll open their doors and issue visas. But, you know, I have to say, I myself um, thought I was kind of keeping on top of uh, news about the... Um, the compliance, the, the Iranian compliance with uh, the pact that had been set up. But when I actually, well, it was, I read an article in the New York Review of Books by Jessica Matthews, and she, um, reviewing a book by Trita Parsi, um, lists all of the ways in which the Iranians have already complied. I mean, if the United States could get the North Koreans to do even a fraction of what the Iranians have already done, they'd consider it to be a wild success. So I think one thing we can do is education, 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 um, help people understand that the Iranians have already dismantled of their centrifuges. They had 19,000, they've got it down to 6,000 now in terms of their capacity to produce uh, fuel for a nuclear weapon. They've already poured concrete into their plutonium reactors so that it's completely unusable. They've answered every question that the International Atomic Energy Association asked them about weapons that they might have had in the past. They've 24-7 made every single place that the IAEA wanted you know, to have available access to, uh, made, made them open and available for inspectors to go. They're, they're, they're creating no blockage, no troubles. The IAEA has signed off saying, yes, we've, we've had complete compliance. And so why not continue to emphasize dogged diplomacy and negotiation? Uh, instead, it seems like the, uh, the United States, once again, is agitating to get a war going um, you have to wonder, is it because they've got so many weapons stockpiled, they don't know where to use them? Uh, but it, Iran is three times the size of Iraq, and uh, thankfully it hasn't been uh, pummeled by the most comprehensive economic sanctions ever imposed in modern history as were imposed on Iraq. I mean, the Iranians have uh, quite a sophisticated infrastructure and I, I think for the United States to anticipate that it somehow could just go in and invade and take over is, is, is highly unrealistic. And, and the other thing that we should remember is two days after the United States uh, said, okay, we, we, are, we recognize that Iran is in compliance with the accord that had been worked out, uh, Rouhani, who's a moderate, uh, won a landslide majority in elections. And so you've got people within Iran who understand that by pursuing uh, a moderate leadership rather than the hardline leadership, they have a better chance to become less isolated and to interact with people in the world. And that's, that's as it should be. I mean, anytime, and this goes for North Korea as well, anytime you want to enable a group of people to have 
a better chance at uh, getting out from under autocratic authoritarian governance, strengthen the education within the country, strengthen the country's capacity to communicate with people outside the country, and strengthen social services within the country. But the United States tends to do just the opposite, uh, eliminate people's social services for delivering humanitarian uh, goods within North Korea, isolate the country as completely as possible, and uh, lessen the education within the country. It seems like there's not really a public uh, uprising in the United States demanding a war on Iran. It seems like Donald Trump campaigned on, uh, I'm against all these government overthrows and wars and occupations, and it certainly didn't cost him votes. Uh, Yet the moment that uh, Donald Trump says Iran must be fought, uh, there are guaranteed to be millions of Americans who will obediently say, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, so <laughs> h- how, do we, how do we counter that? Uh, you know, clearly, uh, clearly education is not enough. Clearly the success that, uh, that, that you see in Iran and, and could happen in North Korea is, is understood as a failure for, for weapons dealers uh, who, who must be driving this because the public is not. Uh, how do we, how do we get the public to to resist? Uh, you know, it, it's it, it's something that has happened, but uh, it's on other occasions it hasn't, and the public has mm-hmm. has flipped and gone along with the propaganda. What? How do we prepare people? Well, it is really difficult because it's not only preparing people; it's getting people to care, getting people to care about what happened to Iraq following our sanctions and our invasion, getting people to recognize some responsibility on the part of the United States for the chaos and the and the uh, constant, tortuous uh, bereavement Iraqis experience, not only in Mosul, but uh, in, in Baghdad still and in, in other parts of Iraq where uh, the, the, the civil war really still continues. Um, so getting people to care about what are the consequences, uh, about what the consequences of U.S. wars and invasions are, and, and how uh, countries don't recover very quickly from that, and how it gives rise to armed jihadist groups that then uh, could want to exact revenge against people in the United States. And so it doesn't really uh, increase our security here. In fact, it, it jeopardizes the I don't think that there would have been a creation of ISIS or Daesh uh, had the United States not invaded Iraq. So, um, you know, I I think for those who would remember back that far, in 2003, the United States came very, very close. Uh, The United States peace movement, the international peace movement, to stopping that war before it started. And, And I think that... Um, another thing we should emphasize is that that public opinion and uh, galvanizing resistance can um, come very, very close to stopping the warlords. And and you've done, you've certainly done a lot of that, David, through showing um, how the organized resistance to U.S. intervention into World War I uh, actually led to 
uh, a, a document that said we're going to outlaw war because that war was so was just as bad as we expected it would be. Um, but, but anticipating that internationally, worldwide groups uh, can't excuse themselves from trying, even when we feel impotent. Yeah. I'll just say that again. Even when we think we are impotent, we can't turn this around, that doesn't excuse us from trying, because we bear so much responsibility for buildup of weapons and use of weapons, and then the terrible bloodletting and destruction that happens after those weapons are used. I agree entirely, Kathy, and I think uh, we did play a role in stopping a bombing of Syria four years ago, and uh, repeatedly in stopping an invasion of Iran, including putting through this agreement, uh, because there have been parties that have wanted to attack Iran uh, in Washington, D.C. for years and years now, and I think uh, it may help us to, to point out to the public that we've been told Iran must urgently be attacked or we'll all die. <laughs> Uh, each of these, each of these times, right? And and uh, Iran hasn't been attacked, and we haven't all died, and so we can maybe keep continuing that for decades. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you because uh, you've been gracious enough to agree to come speak at this conference we're planning uh, at World Beyond War on how peace and environmental groups can work better together and accomplish more together and what the two issues have to do with each other. Uh, these wars aren't exactly good for the natural environment, are they? Well, certainly every time that I've gone over to Afghanistan or Brian Sherrill has um, gone back and forth, uh, our friend Sherry Morin is there now, we can see how the... Uh, the, the creation of the network of bases within Afghanistan has had a very, very detrimental effect on the um, consumption of water, on the distribution of water, on the uh, distribution of uh, horrible um, leftover ordinance that has yet to be cleaned up, and we're not sure it's ever going to be cleaned up after the last big surge departed from Afghanistan. And, and then um, the more that uh, the United States emphasizes war as the solution and more militarism as the solution, the less resources people have to cope with uh, the, the, the terrible environmental problems they already have, uh, sometimes caused by drought, sometimes caused by natural disasters, but very much caused by the um, uh, ways in which uh, people haven't been able to fix up sewage and sanitation systems, for instance, in Kabul, where, they, I mean, it's got the highest concentration of fecal matter in the air of almost any place in the world. And, and, and truthfully, um, when people come back from Kabul, they're, they're, they're sick for weeks uh, because of the, the high toll that Kabul air takes on somebody's respiratory system. Uh, you realize, even just brushing your teeth, you know, they, oh my goodness, my, my saliva is black. Uh, so this is what people live with day in and day out in areas where the United States has said, well, we don't really care about those kinds of problems. We care about maintaining our military bases and uh, using your land as a, a pivot place for us to threaten China or Russia or maybe someday take your mineral resource wells if we decide that that's worth our time. Do, do, do people that you talk with around the United States realize that the war in Afghanistan is 
rolling on and that the Pentagon is working on another you know, plan to win it over the coming uh, many years and decades, uh, that, that this is something that still has to be ended and that uh, Congressman Walter Jones has a bill to cut off the money and end it, but it's not uh, going anywhere? Well, truthfully, I think that um, it's a war that has been forgotten before it ended. Uh, I think most people uh, just have so little contact with um, soldiers that are going over to Afghanistan because, quite honestly, there there aren't that many. There are many more security contractors uh, headed over to Afghanistan. Uh, there's, um, you know, plenty of reporting done by the SIGAR group, the Special Inspector General on Afghan Reconstruction, that um, lays out in minute detail the environmental consequences of U.S. militarism, the um, abuses that have happened because of money that's gone to fund ghost hospitals and ghost schools and ghost military bases and the corruption that's been fed. And, and all of that information is there, but I don't know that the Congress people read those reports. I, I, every now and then, you'll see a, a strong piece of reporting done by a major newspaper like the New York Times. But uh, in general, I think people have just kind of forgotten about Afghanistan. And, and, and it's so impressive to me that our young Afghan peace volunteer friends, uh, they don't wait for the U.S. government or the Afghan government to try to help solve problems. They figure out ways. I mean, they're pretty remarkable and resilient in figuring out ways that they can themselves help one another make it through these desperate times. Afghanistan does, we have just a couple minutes left, Kathy, Afghanistan does occasionally pop up in the news in an accusation against Russia, which is, you know, generally what most of the news is these days, accusations against Russia. And uh, the accusation is that Russia is is arming the Taliban. Uh, is that true? Well, you know, that seems to be a particularly uh, galling accusation because, um, I mean, the, the, a guy named C.J. Chivers had uh, done research in, about two years ago showing how many millions of United States armaments that were shipped over either to U.S. soldiers or were directly given to the Afghan National Army ended up on the black market or um, had been stolen by the Taliban. And so, you know, when we think about how the Taliban has acquired uh, top-notch weaponry. Well, it's, it's got United States serial numbers on it. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, but not Russian, as far as you know. No, no. I mean, they, they, the Taliban, in some ways, have reason to want to continue keeping a United States presence inside of Afghanistan, because that's how they um, can raise money. I mean, the United States pays them off not to attack their convoys. And uh, then they can always, you know, make an attack on a uh, an Afghan base that's been supplied by U.S. weapons, and the you know the, quite often the people at the base have to give up and run, and then they just go in and they scoop up the weapons, and that makes them all the more able to uh, intimidate and overtake small towns as they have increasingly uh, expanded their control of roadways and of access to uh, larger cities. Yeah. And so, you know, with all the money that the United States has spent in trying to uh, win a war in Afghanistan, in fact, they haven't been able to 
uh, stopped the encroachment of the Taliban. Well, it sounds sounds like it's a win-win for the military in the United States and for the Taliban and everybody except all the people being killed and injured and poisoned and troops coming home and killing themselves. Um, Kathy Kelly uh, is with Voices for Creative Nonviolence. I think the website is vcnv.org. You can see her at the Democracy Convention, democracyconvention.org, and at the uh, conference coming up in September, World Beyond War. Kathy Kelly, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thanks for this time, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.